That's really good. We're excited that you are here today. Um, I just want to mention, and I, and I promise I'm not going to talk about this longer than three minutes. Those of you that know me probably thought I would say something about this today, but uh, I got to see Bruce Springsteen Wednesday night for the, sec- yeah, for the second time in my life, uh, which was, it was awesome. And uh, just let me say this, and, and I wasn't standing in the crowd seeing who was singing and who was what, and I, I, I mean, I was up here, uh, so I, all I could see is that Chris and Mark and Sherry were singing. But let me just tell you something that was cool about that, and I think this is kind of the way church should be, is that when, uh, when he did Borden to Run Wednesday night, there was probably, I don't know, 15,000 people there or something. Everybody was singing, and they didn't care if they had a good voice or not, and they were belting it out. When it got to the whoa part, I mean, just the whole place, you could hear it. It was so loud. And I thought to myself, that's what, you know, on, on Sunday morning, Chris ought to be able to not almost hear himself singing because we're just blasting it out so much because we're not singing to, you know, I love Bruce Springsteen, I love Born to Run, but we're singing for Jesus here on Sunday mornings. And so, uh, so anyway, I just, just throw that out there. So think about that as we get ready to do the last song, just blow it out. And if somebody looks at you like you can't sing, just say, hey, your voice stinks too. And then sing even louder. That's what, you, that's what we need to do. All right. Hey, uh, we're starting a new series today and I'm really glad you're here. And and one of the things about us as human beings is there's a lot of things about us that are different. And in fact, if you look around, you maybe start to think that we're really, really different because nobody looks exactly the same. Even if you have an identical twin, you don't look exactly like them. There's some differences there. And, and uh, nobody's had the exact same experiences you've had. No one likes the exact same things you do. No one uh, you know, wears, wears the same exact clothes that you wear every day and all that kind of stuff. So we're all unique. But there are things that we have in common. There's some big things that we have in common. And one big thing that we all have in common, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a human being, where you were raised, what your political persuasion is, where you live right now, what your experiences are, all of us have done dumb stuff, have we not? If you would say today, yeah, I've done some dumb stuff. If you would say, I've done some colossally dumb stuff, raise your hand. I mean, we, we've all done that, haven't we? And if you didn't raise your hand right there, you're lying because we've all done, we've all done dumb stuff. So here's what I thought we would do to begin this series today. Um, I've got this microphone here. We're going to make a line, and I want everybody to come up on stage and tell us the dumbest thing you've ever done. Now, I'm not going to do that. But if, if we had to do that, we could be here all afternoon just listening to dumb story after dumb story of decisions we've made. So what I thought I'd do is I'd, sh- I'd start by sharing with you something dumb I've done. This is by far not the dumbest thing I've ever done. I've done things way dumber than this. But I thought you'd get a kick out of this. When I was 11 years old, I was in the woods behind my house, which are no longer there anymore. But when I was a kid, there were woods back there, and there was a pond we'd fish in, and we'd build forts. And walk back to the river. I mean, it was just a great place to grow up and, you know, with a bunch of my buddies around the neighborhood doing stuff. And, and one of my buddies uh, came out there and he had a can of Skoll. I'm 11 years old, you know. He says, hey man, you want to try some Skoll? And of course, what do I do as an 11-year-old? I'd never had Skoll or anything before, but I was like, well, you know, normally I dip Copenhagen, but if all you got Skoll, sure, you know. So take it and, you know, pack it down, all that stuff. And and I, got, and I got a big old, you know, almost half a can, and I shoved that stuff in my lip and walking around like this, you know, and thought we were really cool and that kind of stuff. Well, I started feeling a little queasy. Because it's Columbia, July, it's like 140 degrees, and I got skull in my mouth. 
So I, I tell him, hey, uh, I need to get on back home. So I get on my bike, and I start riding back to the house to, uh, through the trails. And we get over there near where the pond is. I'm almost at my house, and there's these two girls there that are in ninth grade, and I'm in sixth grade, and I wanted to impress them, and I thought they were look, you know, really good and all that kind of stuff. So I try to you know, give them a little wave as I go by. Well, as I do, I hit a, a, a stump on my bike, and I flipped over. So now... The skull that was in my mouth, part of it's now in my stomach. And part of it's on me, and part of it's on the ground. And they're like, oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. You know, I jump up and I get home. So now I get home, and now I'm really not feeling good. So I go in, and my dad, I know my dad had to know something was up because it's the middle of the day in the summertime, and I'm laying down in my bed. And I'm laying there, and I'll, I'll never forget this. I started thinking, okay, I'm feeling a little better now. Maybe I can get up. And as soon as my foot hit the floor, everything down here wanted to be out here. And so I ran to the bathroom, and I did all that stuff. And my dad comes in, are you all right? And I said, yeah, it must be something I ate. I didn't bother to tell him what I ate was a half a dip of skull, right? But that was just not a smart thing. That was just a dumb thing for me to take a big old dip of skull on a hot day in the summertime. I'd never done that before and think that I was going to be able to just do that and, and nothing happened. And we've all done things like that that are stupid. All of us, there, there's money that you wish you hadn't have spent. There's relationships you wish you hadn't have entered into. Maybe for some of you, there were marriages that you look back and you think, I never should have gone there. You, you know, there were, there were dates you wish you hadn't have gone on, parties you wish you hadn't have been at, rides you wish you hadn't have taken. All of us have done dumb things. And for all of us, we can look back and there were, for some of us, days, for some weekends, for some months, and maybe even years of your life, that if you could go back and rewrite, you would do it. And you think, if I could just go back, I certainly would not have done that. I would definitely have done that different. And the funny thing is that as we look back on those things, now looking back, it's all so clear to us, isn't it? We look back and we say things like, how could I have been so dumb? Why couldn't I see where that was going to lead? How could I have been so foolish is what we see when we look back. And then the thing that's even stranger about it is we will see people who are getting ready to do the same dumb things we did, and you try to warn them. Have you ever been in this situation? And maybe, maybe, it's, with, uh, maybe it's with your kids, or maybe it's with someone else's kids, or maybe it's with somebody you work with or a friend or whatever, and you see that they're getting ready to do the exact same dumb thing that you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And you try to tell them, listen, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go down that road. I've been there, and it's going to take you to a place you don't want to be. And what do they say? They basically say, none of your business. Because they say things like, yeah, I, that might have happened for you, but I'm different. Or, yeah, but, but I really feel like this is what I need to do. My heart is telling me. I just feel like I need to follow my heart. And what they don't realize and what we often don't realize is that our heart oftentimes deceives us. Our heart can be very deceitful and can lead us to a place that we don't want to go. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, my dad uh, gave me a book by Andy Stanley called The Best Question Ever. And he said, he said our pastor did a series of messages on, based on this book, and I think you need to read it. I think you would like it. And I read the book, and as soon as I got done, I, I said, we, we definitely need to do this at Freedom. And so we did this series a couple years ago, and, and it's an entire series based on making wise decisions and trying to avoid stupid stuff and that kind of thing. 
and, and Don and I, we preached this thing. We thought, yeah, it went great and, and all that kind of stuff. And not to say that y'all didn't get it or we didn't get it, but it was funny. It was about a year after that that we had one of those weeks where people are calling me, coming to my office, people are coming to Donnie's office, and we're sitting here talking, and it's just dumb decision after dumb decision after dumb decision that people are, and I'm talking bit, a lot dumber than skull on a hot day. I'm talking stuff that ends marriages and ends careers, kind of dumb decisions that people were doing. And I looked at Donnie, I said, you know, we've never done this before. I said, but at some point we probably need to go back and teach that series again on the best question ever. So we put that on the back burner and that was over a year ago. And here we are today, because I think that what, what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks can radically change your, your life. There's three verses in the book of Ephesians, so I want you to go ahead and open to Ephesians 5, and I'm going to read those in a minute. Ephesians is in the New Testament, and this is, this is it for today. You can open that up and keep it right there. You don't have to flip around. Ephesians is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then after that you got Romans and some Corinthians, and then Galatians, Ephesians, all that stuff. So just keep going to your right once you get there to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 15 in just a minute. But I believe these three verses, they lead us to a question that we're going to ask. And, and I truly believe that if you ask yourself this question and then put into practice the answer that you get after you ask this question, it can really transform your decision making. In fact, what it will do is it will become a filter through which you can view every opportunity that comes your way. Every invitation, every financial opportunity, every relationship opportunity, if you will view it through this filter that we're going to talk about today, it can transform your decision making. And I really believe that it can make your decision making and make your, about all areas, it can kind of foolproof it. it here's the thing, the best question ever, it's, it's like all of us have a six inch layer of dumb all over us, right? And, and the, the best question ever is just going to knock that right off of you. It's, gonna, it's like a pressure washer, and it's just going to clean that stuff right off of you and allow you to make better decisions without that six-inch layer of dumb that we kind of carry around with us, all of us, as humans. But it's going to take courage for you to ask the question. It's going to take courage for you to ask the question that we're going to talk about. I'm, and you're saying, what is the question? We're going to get that in just a minute. But Because this is one of those things. If you're like me, you're really good at fooling yourself. I mean... I can talk myself into just about anything. I can take something that I know was a dumb decision, and if I talk about it long enough, and I justify it and rationalize it enough, pretty soon I can take something that five minutes ago I knew was stupid, and then I can say, you know what, this is really probably what we ought to do. And I can even spiritualize it and say, in fact, this is probably what God thinks we ought to do. And then I just wander off into stupidity, and maybe you're like that. What this question will do is it kind of peels back all those layers of deception, all those ways we deceive ourselves. It kind of cuts through all that stuff and gets down to the basics of how to make a good decision. So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15. Now, what you need to understand about Ephesians is this. This is a letter that Paul, a guy named Paul wrote, all right? Paul had gone around and he'd started churches in all these different areas, and he started a church in a place called Ephesus. That was the town that Ephesians, the, the book was written to, because the people that lived there, they were called Ephesians. And so he wrote this letter back, and the, what you need to understand about the town of Ephesus is it was a, a pretty evil place. It was a very pagan city. And I'll tell you how pagan it was. At Ephesus, they had these temples 
that people would go to to go to church to worship. And the big thing there was temple prostitution. So what used to be viewed as not just a bad thing, but an immoral thing, a terrible thing, now they were saying, hey, this, this idea of, of sleeping with a bunch of women that aren't your wives and paying them for it and all that kind of stuff, this is now not only, not only is it not a bad thing, it's a thing that will help get you closer to God. It's a religious thing. It's a spiritual thing that's good for you. So that's how evil this, this area was. And I'm just imagining you didn't have a lot of men sleeping in on Sunday mornings. It's just, my, it's just my take on that. I doubt you had a problem with women trying to get their husbands to come to church because that's what was going on there. And so at Ephesus, that's, that's just the, the, the area that was. So the book of Ephesians, Paul has a lot of instructions in here to Christians, to people who are trying to follow Christ, about how they should live their lives. And there's a lot of talk about what's, what's right and what's wrong and what's moral and what's immoral and those nature of those things. And so you read through all that, and then you get to chapter 5, which is towards the end of the book. And in chapter 5, in these three verses, Paul throws in there this kind of hidden gem about how to make good decisions. You, you live in this society. This is where you are. This is where you are. So let's talk about how you make good decisions. So look at, at verse 15, and I'll just kind of read along and stop and and talk as we read this. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5 says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Look at that first part where it says, be very careful then how you live. It's just, Paul's being very blunt there, and he's saying, if you're going to live in this type of society, you are going to have to watch out for what you're doing. You're going to have to be careful. You can't be careless. The word careful there just means to be on the lookout. And he's telling them, you need to take, take stock of what's going on around you, and you need to just look at things and say, okay, what's right and what's wrong, and how do I need to respond to these things, instead of just waking up and saying, hey, I'll just go and see where the day takes me. You're going to have to be careful about it. As a parent, you probably say, though, especially if you have little kids, you probably say, be careful a lot, do you not? Think about when your child, if, if they're not there now, say you got a, a five-year-old child, and they want to pour themselves some cereal. Now, you know that the gallon of milk is almost full. And they're determined to do it on their own. Anybody got one of those kind of kids? I do it myself kind of kids. And so they want to do that thing on their own. So you say, okay, I'm going to let them do it. And, and you're watching them. And if you're a good parent, you're going to say at least a couple of times, all right, now be careful. Now be careful. Now, why are you going to say that? I'll tell you why you're going to say that. Because you know if you don't say be careful, when they start pouring that milk, at the, what you're going to do for the next hour is clean the counter and mop the floor. Because, it's all gonna, because this milk is heavy, and, and if they're not paying attention to what's going on, they've got to be careful, or it's going to make a big mess. Our lives are like that. If we're not careful about what's going on, we're going to make a big mess of stuff and, and never really understand what happened. Where did that come from? How did I end up here? Because we weren't careful. We weren't trying to, to be proactive about what could go on in our lives. Now look at the second part of that verse. After it says, be careful how you live, the next part says, not as unwise, but as wise. But as wise. You see, that's the new standard, being wise. That's the standard that we should live by. And, and the way that's different than the way we normally live is we ask ourselves questions like this. We say things like, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? Now, you might not have ever asked that question out loud, but you've lived like that. 
All right, I know that's the line over there that I'm not supposed to cross. How close can I get up to that line without actually crossing it? Uh, I know I'm not supposed to commit adultery, but can I get that woman at the office to pay attention to me and laugh at my jokes and scratch my back? Could I do that? I haven't, haven't committed adultery yet, but I'm awfully close to it. I'm bumping up on it. That's the kind of questions we ask ourselves. See, we want to be like this guy up here. See him? Anybody know who that is? Jim Cantori, he's got the most awesome job ever. If I could, if you could have like a shadowing program as an adult, which would really be weird, where you follow a guy around, and I'd want to go with Jim Cantori. And because and, see what, if you don't know what Jim Cantori does, he's hurricane guy at the Weather Channel. And wherever there's about to be destruction, they send him. Go down there, Jim, and report on it. And he's out there, and the wind's blowing, and he's, I can barely hear you, but it's bad out here, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just exciting where he is. And the thing about him is, and, and it's funny, I, no lie, I saw him on TV last week, and he was talking about the fact that it's been a real quiet hurricane season. He sounded really disappointed that nobody's dying and people's houses aren't getting. It's like, he's just saying, I just wish there'd be some destruction here. But he, get, he gets to go, and, and we want to be like him, because what he does is he gets really close to the destruction without ever suffering any of the consequences. He doesn't lose his house. He doesn't die. He doesn't have to have his friends' lives ruined. It's just he shows up. He gets to be a part of the excitement. All the bad consequences that come with that, it doesn't affect him at all, and he leaves. That's the way we try to live our lives. We try to see how close we can get to destruction without actually suffering the consequences for what we do. And we do that over and over and over again in our lives. And as we try to get close to disaster, we ask questions like this. Hey, is it legal? If it's legal, I can do it. Is it immoral? If it's not immoral, I'm all over it. Is it permissible? Is there a verse in the Bible again? I can't find a verse in the Bible against this. I guess that means it's okay for me to do that. And that's the way we make decisions. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5.15, he said that's not the standard. The new standard is not is it permissible, not is it legal, not is it moral. The new standard is, is it wise? And so the best question ever is this, is it the wise thing for me to do? Is it the wise thing for me to do? And that's the way we should, that's the question we should ask when we're trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to do in these situations. And it's a higher standard. And it's a standard that goes against what culture says. If you begin to ask this question in your life for everything and say, is this the wise thing for me to do? You're going to be out of the loop with some people and what's going on. Because... Uh, for instance, here's the thing. Here's the way our culture operates. Hey, the bank will loan me 150% of the value of my house. It must be okay to take that loan. It's the way we do it. Zero interest for 60 days. That's great. We, we ignore the fact that it's 45% interest compounded daily after that or, you know, whatever it is. Or the thing about, well, hey, I'm not married. She's not married. It's all consensual. We all agreed to it. It's okay, Right? That's the way we live. And the new standard that will, be, will put you at odds with culture is if you begin to say, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now look at verse 16 of Ephesians 5. He continues there and he says this, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now I told you what life was like in Ephesus. It was easy for them to look around and say, ooh, this is a, this is a rough place. 
And even though we don't have temple prostitution going on in Greer, South Carolina, you can look around and you can see how culture is going and you can say, this is not how we're supposed to live. And if you just allow culture to kind of sweep you along and you're not careful and you're not making conscious decisions to be different than that and you just allow culture to sweep you along with whatever happens to be going along uh, going on out there what you're going to find out is you're going to find out that it's going to take you to a place that you never wanted to go and it's going to take you to a place that when you end up there you're going to say this is bad this is this is this is bad for me and my family if you try to handle money the way the culture tells you to handle money it's not going to work out well for you. If you try to uh, handle your marriage the way culture tells you to handle your marriage, that's not going to take you where God wants you to go. If you try to prioritize the way culture tells you to prioritize, then your priorities are going to all be out of whack because the days are evil. We live in a time period where people are making decisions not based on what God's word is, but based on what makes them feel okay and, and how their heart leads them to do. And, and that's not what our standard is. Our standard is to do what is wise and to walk away from everything else. Verse 17, I love this part here. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think Paul here is just kind of cutting through it all and saying, listen, quit justifying your behavior, quit rationalizing what you're doing, and quit being foolish. And then the next part's interesting, because he commands them to understand. But understand, you will understand this, which is kind of a funny command. Has anyone ever commanded you to understand something? You can't really command somebody to understand something, can you? When I was in school, I took this class that uh, maybe some of y'all took that still I have nightmares to this day, this class called Algebra. Anybody ever heard of Algebra? Now, for those of you out there that are great at Algebra, I love it that they, you were alive because there's like bridges and stuff that we can drive over now that if it was up to me, we'd all be getting in a boat, I guess, and paddling across because I, I can't do Algebra. And I can remember... Algebra 1 in ninth grade, Algebra 2 in 11th grade, college algebra my freshman year, it didn't matter. Every time I took it, I just sat in there and I thought, I don't, I don't get any of this stuff. And none of my teachers, and I even had algebra tutors and stuff, none of my teachers ever looked at me and said, okay, I've got the, I got the answer to this. Just understand it. Cliff, I'm commanding you to understand it. Woo, now I got it. Foil, first, outside, inside, last, or, you know, X2 equals Y or whatever. I, I, that kind of stuff, you can't command me to understand algebra and all of a sudden I just get it. But what Paul is saying here, he, he's telling them, listen, I know that I can't just command you to understand something, but what he's saying is this, you need to face up to what you already know. You need to face up to the truth. Because when you ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? Very rarely do you get new information when you answer that question. When you ask that question and then you answer it, what, what happens is you are usually getting some information that, that was already in here, that you already knew the answer. You already knew that wasn't, a, that wasn't smart. You, you knew that if you had thought through that, it was going to take what the What the best question ever does, it just slows you down long enough so that you can begin to understand and you can begin to pull out of yourself what God's already put there, what you already know is right. And so the best question ever keeps us from deceiving ourselves. Now, you have to ask this question on three levels. And if you've got a pen or a pencil, the, I want you to write these three, down, these thing, three things down. If you don't, uh, I'll put it on my blog tomorrow. It'll be on there. And uh, you can go on there and copy them or whatever it is you want to do. Save it to your hard drive. or I don't even know if you can do that. But here's the three questions. We need to ask this question on three levels. The first one is this. In light of my past experience, 
what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not what's legal, not what's permissible, but thinking about things like this. The last time I went to that place, what happened? The last time I hung out with that guy on Friday night, where did that leave me? The last time I went on a business trip and I was in the room by myself, and, and what happened after that? The last time uh, I, I flirted with that guy at work, what happened? The last time I invested with something that didn't seem exactly right, what happened to me then? So if you begin to ask those type of questions about what has already happened in your life, now here's the thing that you need to understand, that this is all about you and, and, and about me and my decision making. I can't ask uh, what's the wise thing for me to do in light of Donnie's past experiences because I'm not Donnie. What's the wise thing for me to do in light of my past experience? There might some, be some things that it's okay for Donnie that it, that would be wise choice for him. It wouldn't be wise for me because we have a different past. We've experienced different things. I'll give you an example. Over the years and doing ministry and stuff, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people about a lot of things. And folks will come to me from time to time who aren't married and sometimes they're younger and that kind of thing. And, and they're dating and they'll start talking about that they're having sex. They're sexually active and it's just a part of their relationship. And at some point along the way, sometimes they'll say one or the other, or maybe sometimes both. We know we need to stop this. What do you suggest we do? I'll say you need to break up with each other. What? But we love each other. We can't break up. I say, well, you're going to keep having sex if you're dating. But does that mean we can't ever be together? No. Maybe put a date on a calendar. One year from today, we'll resume this relationship. But that if you want to do what's wise... If you, with your past experience, the two of you, you sit there and look across the table at each other, you know what you've already done. You can recall it as a man. You can recall what she looks like without any clothes on anytime you want to. And you're going to tell me you're going to continue to be able to date and not be able to do that? No, in light of your past experience, you need to, to cool it for a while and just stay away from one another. Just send texts or whatever. But you can't be getting together because here's the thing. Because of your past experience, it's going to lead you to a place that you know you don't want to go. Now, that might be unique to you. That might be unique to your situation. That might not apply to somebody else. If, you, if you're a person that's had struggles with substance abuse before, you know, you can't keep beer in your refrigerator and think, well, let's be before my friends when they come over. If you've struggled with that before, the wise thing for you to do is not to have it in the house. Now, that might not be a problem for me. Or it might not be a problem for somebody else. They might could keep it in there and it would go bad. I guess if it goes bad, I don't know. But you could have it in there. Those of you that drink beer are thinking, I don't know if it goes bad either because I've never had it that long to find out, right? <laughs> I know that's what some of you were thinking right then. That's all right. I understand that. But, for, but if you have struggles with you know, substance abuse, there are certain things that you can't do that maybe someone else can because it's in light of your past experiences. Because the truth is, you have a unique past which predisposes you to certain things. That doesn't mean you're definitely going to do those things, but because of your past experiences, things that have happened to you before, there's some stuff that you are more likely to get into that someone else isn't because of your past. So that's the first question, the first, the first level we need to ask that question. Second level we need to ask that question at is this. In light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? Where you are right now emotionally, 
where you are right now financially, where you are right now in, in terms to relationships, all those things go into helping you make that decision. Maybe financially you're at a place where there's an investment opportunity that's not wise for you right now. Maybe five years ago you could have handled it. But you look at the checkbook now, you look at the savings account, you look at your portfolio, and you say, you know what? I don't have the money to spare. I don't have the money at this point to invest in that. Maybe five years from now you will. But in light of your current circumstances, it won't work out. Or take, for instance, is when it comes to relationships. If you're married, married man or woman, there's no excuse. It's not a wise thing for you to ever make a deep emotional connection to a person of the opposite sex. It's, it's, it's not wise. And you could say, well, yeah, but, you know, we're friends and all that kind of stuff. Listen, it will lead you to a place you don't want to go. So if I'm a man, I cannot have any deep emotional connections to any other woman other than my wife who I've been married to for a long time. And I don't want her having any with any other men. But now, if you're not married, make a deep emotional connection with someone of the opposite sex. It might lead you to marriage. That might be a great way for you to find out who that person really is. And that would be something that maybe would even be encouraged in your life. But in light of my personal cir circumstances right now, I can't do that. If you're married, you can't be doing that. It's not wise. So you've got to take into account where you are right now and then try to figure out, okay, what's wise based on where I am now? And then the third one, which I think this one is maybe the most important level to ask this question at. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my future hopes and dreams. Ask yourself, where do I want to be financially in 20 years? Is this a wise thing to do? Is this going to get me there? Where do, you want, where do you want your marriage to be at the end of your life? Will the decisions you're making now, are they wise? Will they get you to that point? Where do you want your relationship with your kids to be when they're grown and living somewhere else? Are the way you're raising your kids now going to get you to that point? Are the, wise, are the things you're doing now wise that are going to take you there? Whatever those things are, if we can begin to look a little bit further into the future, I think it will help us make better decisions today. Because the truth is that unwise decisions in our past have robbed us of a portion of our future, if you're honest with yourself. You can look back and you can say, you know what, if I hadn't have done that in 1982, I would be somewhere different today. And so it robbed me. I think the easiest way to see that is financially. I think back on all the things I spent money on and all the money I did not invest and all the money I did not save, and I think, you know what, if that was the case, I could be at the beach right now. And so, it, but, but unwise decision in my past have robbed me of a portion of what's going on today. And an unwise decision today will rob you of something that you could experience 20 years from now, 10 years from now, way on into the future. So if we will ask ourselves, in light of where I want to be, in light of what my hopes and my dreams are, because when we refuse to answer the best question ever, we, we set ourselves up for disaster and, and we will rob ourselves. Now here's, as we end, let me, let me just make a, a closing point that I think, I think if we would think about it, we'd know it's true, but it's really important. Here's the thing, nobody plans to mess up their lives. No one's ever planned to just really foul things up. No one has ever stood at the altar and, and looked across there at the man or woman they're getting ready to marry and say, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think in a couple years I'm going to have an affair and we're going to get a divorce and it'll cost a lot of money and it'll be really messy and it'll ruin our kids' lives. I think that's what I'm going to do. No one's ever planned that. 
No one's ever had a baby and, and they place that baby in your arms and you look at that little baby and you say, oh, look at that. I'm going to make this thing so codependent on me that he won't be able to function without me and when I die, he'll be a total failure. No one's ever done that. Or placed a baby in your hands and said, oh, look at her, she's so sweet. I'm going to be so harsh and hateful to her and never tell her I love her that she'll spend years and years and years in counseling. It'll ruin all our future relationships. We've never done that, have we? No one plans to mess things up. But here's the thing. We don't plan to mess things up, but we don't plan not to mess our lives up. And that's what the best question ever will do for you. If you will begin to ask this and then live by it, you will begin to plan not to mess things up. You'll say, I'm going to make a conscious choice to do something different. See, no one's ever planned to go bankrupt. No one's ever planned to become an alcoholic. No one's ever planned to be married and divorced three or four or five times. But by asking this question, it can change all of that. Now, let me say this to you today as we get ready to close up. I understand that this, if you're really honest with yourself and you ask this question about every part of your life, maybe that's going to make you uncomfortable. And if you're here today and this is making you so uncomfortable that you're thinking, hmm, I'm not, when is this, this series over? I'm not coming back till it's done. I don't want to ask this. And if you're here today and you're saying that you're, ref- you're going to even refuse to ask that, you're still learning something important about yourself. Because even if you refuse to ask this question, you're learning something very important about yourself because what you're learning is this, that, that you know what the wise thing is and you know what the unwise thing is and, you, and you're just going to ignore what's wise anyway and take your chances. And you're setting yourself up for disaster. So as we go on this journey for the next few weeks, my, my goal is not for anyone to ever do anything dumb again. I know we're all going to continue to mess up. But my goal is for us to be able to be realistic about those things and to avoid at least some of them. It'd be great if we could avoid all of them. I would love it if I never did anything dumb again. Sherry would really love it if I never did anything dumb again for the rest of my life. She would really love that. But the, the fact is, we all mess up. And here's, here's, the, here's the last thing I want to tell you before you're done. When we do mess things up, and, and, and we, we do those things, whether it's adultery or uh, you know, whatever it might be, we can be forgiven of that because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Christ forgives stupidity daily. Christ died because we do stupid things. They're called sins. And you can be forgiven of that, but you have to ask him, and you have to place your trust in him. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads. I know we've talked today a lot about decisions. Here's, here's a decision that you can make today. If you've never asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, you've never begun a relationship with him, you can do that today. And so you can just pray this prayer after me if you need to do that and you're saying, yeah, I need to be forgiven. Pray this prayer and just mean these words in your heart. You can say this, Jesus, I know that I've done dumb things. I know that I've sinned. I believe you died on the cross for those sins. And I trust in your death, in your resurrection, to forgive me of those sins. I need you. I can't make it alone. I will live for you the rest of my life. Amen.
If you prayed that today for the first time, I want you to be sure that there's a place on the bottom of your, um, uh, what is it called there, Don? Newsletter, worship bulletin, guide, the blue thing, blue piece of paper. There's a place there where you can, um, you can fill that out. That would be great. And just say, yeah, I did that today. I accepted Christ as my Savior. And then somebody will be in touch with you about that. Or you can just come to me, come to Donnie, come to any of these guys on the stage, anybody wearing a, hey, welcome to Freedom yellow tag, and tell them also, all right? All right, we're going to go out of here singing an awesome song called It's All Because of Jesus. Now, just think with me just for a minute. Just imagine that you're at the Bilo Center, okay? And Bruce and the E Street Band are out there, and they're getting ready to crank up and play Born to Run, and people are just losing their minds, right? And even though you haven't had anything to drink here today, you're going to let your inhibitions be gone, okay? So I want you to stand up, and we're going to sing All Because of Jesus, and I want you to shout it out because it is all because of Jesus that you're here today. Let's do it.